You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest And that is a gorgeous weather forecast and we'll have that. Thank you very much. If you're heading out into the garden today, uh, you nearly need to have sunscreen on you if we're going to hit for temperatures of uh, 19 degrees. And actually, there's a piece in the paper today saying that we here in Ireland, indications are that we could be set for a glorious summer. And this is got to do with the way the birds are building their nests. There's an old Irish saying that says if birds, particularly birds like crows, if they build their nests up in the upper branches of the trees, that that means a fine summer is on the way. If the birds decide to build their nests in the lower branches, it means the summer that's coming is going to be wet, it's going to be cold and it's going to be windy. And it seems over recent weeks, farmers have noticed that birds are nesting in the higher limbs of the trees. And that's indicating because they did it before. They did it in 2013 and they did it in 2018. And in both 2013 and 2018, we had glorious summers. So I'm banking on those birds and keep building your nests as high up the tree as you can because it would be great to have a lovely hot warm summer to look forward to. Obviously when Met Aaron were asked about this they only deal in the very short to medium term forecasting so they're having none of it. The most they will tell us is that we do have sunshine, good sunshine for the next five days. They're actually saying that at some stages we head through the week we could see temperatures go up to 20 degrees in some areas. Obviously if you're by the beach by the coast it'll be a little bit cooler because you've got that, those lovely onshore breezes uh, but certainly today, tomorrow and uh, Friday we're looking at dry and uh, sunny conditions and we will take that. Um, and going on, t- talking of old sayings, when I was chatting with Simon teeing up the programme before 10 o'clock we ended up talking about whistling and I made the point that my mother my late mother if she thought that I was attempting to whistle on air because she had a thing about ladies whistling and girls whistling and she had a saying that I was going to attempt to remember with Simon and I said no don't go there because you know when you're trying to remember something and then it comes out backwards because you haven't prepped for it you haven't in your mind tried to work out exactly what the saying was so thank you to a listener hasn't put a name on this text uh, who has reminded me of my mother's late saying and the saying was a whistling woman and a crowing hen there isn't peace nor ease in the house they're in and uh, it was to do with the fact that women shouldn't whistle and the fact that everybody had hens long ago so that's what the crowing hen uh, was all about so thank you whoever sent in that text you certainly got me smiling and reminded me of my late great mother who I think would have gone through this whole pandemic with great fortitude I think the older generation have great resilience about them and she was a woman who would have lived through the Second World War and would have I would have 
grown up listening to her stories of what they went through in the Second World War. So I think she would have had great resilience at this time and it's resilience that we can all uh, learn from. And thank you to the other numbers of people who remembered whistling through the blade of grass. We're going to have to get Simon some grass and get him whistling uh, through it. Um, Jan in Butterfield said, we did the the grass whistle all of the time. My friend was actually excellent at the two finger in the mouth whistle. That's the one that I can't do. We obviously are from the same era. Happy days. And that's from Jan in Baltimore. Thank you for that, uh, Jan. And somebody else uh, by, this is Marion in Formoy to say, you're not on your own, the whistling grass. We used to see who could whistle the loudest. Uh, great memories. And actually it was one of the ways with you went out to play and there was nobody else out in the neighbourhood you could whistle through the through the, the grass because it made such a loud piercing sound and it would tell the other kids you were out and you know doors would suddenly open and, and other kids uh, would come out to play. Uh, 1850 it's great to remember the old days isn't it? Okay now where, where are we at today? There were so many announcements uh, yesterday a lot of the newspapers today picking up um, you know, with headlines like uh, summer's been cancelled and all of that. Certainly the summer season for festivals and for concerts uh, have definitely been um, called off with the announcement yesterday. The Cabinet agreed to ban the issuing of licence for any event of involving more than 5,000 people and this ban remains in place until the end of August. And yesterday we heard there was a further 44 people who'd passed away. Um, May they rest in peace with COVID-19. That brings our death toll now to 730 people and they are not statistics behind every one of them. A much loved person who loved and were loved and there are 730 families grieving their loss and and we and let us never forget the people whose lives are lost because of COVID-19 and that's the reason that we all need to stick to the restrictions so that we can keep that number down. We know it's going to increase but we need to save lives. And there were also good set of figures were released yesterday. It's the first figures on the number of people who have recovered from coronavirus. 9,233 victims have survived the potential deadly virus and actually we're going to be speaking with one of them, uh, a man in his 30s, a Cork man, will be sharing his COVID-19 journey with us today on the uh, programme. But when you look at that figure of the people that recovered, that's almost 60% of the confirmed cases have now fully recovered. So that's certainly is a good news story. And the National Public Health Emergency Team have also yesterday finally given the go-ahead to a childcare scheme for healthcare workers. Now this really is long overdue and it's something that's been spoken about for quite some time. Nursing sources are indicating last night in circumstances where one parent is an essential healthcare worker that their partner should be financially supported by their employer to remain at home to care for the children. So that's one of the things that could be looked at. They're also suggesting that there could be a service whereby registered childcare workers provide support to an essential healthcare workers in their own home. Now, there'd have to be a, a lead in time uh, for uh, that. But I suppose the, the big talking point from yesterday was the banning of the mass gatherings. And the Taoiseach yesterday said the reason he was announcing it yesterday was that he, first of all, wanted to make sure that no new licences 
for festivals would be issued in the coming months and also it was aimed to allow concert promoters to give them time to inform performers that events have been cancelled and obviously a number would have had tickets sold already so it was to give them uh, time how do we go about refunding tickets etc and we had only been talking about the Independence Festival yesterday because a listener had contacted us wondering was it going ahead or not and now we know they were one of the first when this announcement was made yesterday to say okay uh, the Indie Festival in Mitchellstown is not going to go ahead the Musgrave Park summer gigs live at the Marquee the Westlife gigs at Porky Cueve all now obviously expected to be uh, postponed are fully uh, cancelled. That's going to be the likes of Tom Jones, Dinah Ross. I was really looking forward to seeing Dinah Ross. The Coronas, always a great gig live at the Marquee. Uh, Walking on Cars, David Gray, Chemical Brothers and the list goes on and on. We've been on the two Aikens who organise live at the Marquee and we are expecting something from them. Now whether we'll get it before the end of the programme today or not. Uh, I mean I think what people want to know is, is it a complete cancellation is that just live the marquee gone or will they postpone is there a chance that some of the artists may be able to come back and do the gig on another date as I say only time will tell now the announcement that was made yesterday it doesn't affect sport directly however ministers expect a ban on major sporting events will follow in due course but somebody has already been on making an interesting point on the on the games because obviously 5,000 people the bigger games you know your Munster Finals your All-Irelands you know obviously they all attract more than 5,000 people but Mick in Mallow says Patricia we know that there won't be any inter-county games during the summer but what about the club GAA games here in Cork I don't think you get 5,000 people at club games says uh, Mick so there's still so much to be decided and that's people hoping that maybe the club games could go ahead but as I say we are expected to hear more about sporting events as really the aim yesterday I think in the announcement yesterday was more to do with the festivals and the uh, concerts and then the one that got a lot of commentary on social media particularly on Twitter yesterday was when the Rural Affairs Minister Michael Ring came out and confirmed that this year's Tidy Towns competition is not going to go uh, go ahead and that's in the interest of protecting the health and safety of the Tidy Towns volunteers a lot of people uh, were quite upset about that and then the Galway races the organisers there they've announced that this year's festival and that was due to be held July 27th to August the 2nd it will not take place as an event open to the general public but they're saying it might still be possible to run the event but to run it behind closed doors and obviously that's going to be dependent on government policy as well so that's where they're not caught, they're not saying that the Galway races are cancelled completely they're holding out on that one and the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan yesterday saying the decision to ban the gatherings of more than 5,000 people until September he says it was in keeping with the public health advice and he said look if nothing else it gives the events organisers advanced notice because we are now in the eighth week would you believe since the first case of COVID-19 was reported in Ireland and as Tony Houlihan said yesterday in that space of time it's only eight weeks when you think about it we as a country we've managed to suppress the virus in the community we flattened uh, the curve but he did say and emphasise there is no room for complacency and that's the important one we can't get complacent and on a good news I'm always trying to go through the papers to find glimmers of hope 
that COVID-19 will, will, will one day be behind us and we'll talk about this pandemic in years uh, to come. But we want it to get behind us sooner rather than later. A potential coronavirus vaccine being developed in the United Kingdom. They're actually going to begin human trials tomorrow. And I've been following as much information as I can get my hands on online about vaccines. And I'm open to correction, but I think this is the first vaccine that's ready for human uh, trials. I mean, they are way ahead of where they would normally be on uh, vaccines. The health Secretary in England, Matt Hancock, he made the announcement and he said in the United Kingdom, they're throwing everything from a financial point of view and from scientific brain point of view. They're throwing everything at the efforts to try to come up with the COVID-19 vaccine, because we all know in the long run, the best way for us worldwide to defeat coronavirus will be through a vaccine. So we'll keep a, a very close eye on that. Normally, when they're developing vaccines, it would be years before they would get to the stage of going to human trials, but they're speeding everything up. Now, obviously, it is going to be trial and uh, error. But to me, that is a little bit, a little glinch of good news and light at the end of the tunnel, because it would be fantastic if we came up with a, a vaccine and a vaccine that we know that works. And restrictions. And we are going to be talking about restrictions on the programme this morning and what could be eased? When will it be eased? What is likely to be uh, eased? And it's going to be over the next two to three weeks the government will start to introduce uh, restrictions in an effort to try to tackle the virus um, to try to make sure that we are tackling it as successfully as possible. Well-placed sources within the government are saying any easing of restrictions at the end of the current period of the lockdown, which we know is the Maybank holiday weekend, May the 5th, they're going to be very limited. Ministers and officials are working on a plan to ease restrictions, but there is anxiety within the government about acting too hastily and then having to reintroduce strict measures and I think for everyone that's the worst thing that could happen that we would ease off and that we would be able to open some aspect of industry or whatever it is we're all back getting our hairs done we're all back at the beauticians whatever it is you most want we're all back in the pubs even though I can't see that happening for quite some time but then we discover that we see a rise in infections of coronavirus we see a rise in deaths and suddenly the government are saying this isn't working we're not flattening the curve the curve is bouncing back up again we have to go back to all of the stricter restrictions again so I think the government's view while all, everybody wants the restrictions lifted we have to do this in baby steps take it very slowly lift restrictions see how we get on lift more restrictions see how we get on and I think that's the safest way of getting us out of all of the restrictions that we're currently living uh, under. And I don't know how many people uh, watched Primetime last night, but the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar was on. He said the government would outline its plan. They will outline the plan before the 5th of May. I think people need to know as well. Information is is great uh, because if we do know what's happening then, you can sort of say, OK, we now know that's what's going to happen for the next two weeks. Let's just get on with it. Then the end of that two weeks, what's happening next? Let's just get on with it. And I think the, and in fairness to the government, I think they have been good with giving out the information. So he's saying it will be outlined before the the, uh, 5th, around the end of April. I think they're expecting to start telling us all what we can next uh, expect. He says, he said last night on Primetime, he hoped to ease 
restrictions after the 5th of May, but he didn't want to give false assurances. He said the plan would lay out in different steps how the economy and society would be reopened and he thinks everybody understands that it's not going to be done in one go it's not going to be done in one foul swoop I think we've all known that there isn't going to be a day where we turn on the TV and there's Leo Varadkar or whoever is Taoiseach saying that says COVID-19 is gone and all the restrictions have been uh, lifted that certainly is not going to happen we're also going to be on the programme today discussing the leaving certificate we're going to have a young leaving certificate student uh, on with us just talking about what it's like for leaving cert students and there was another announcement yesterday from the Minister for Education, Joe McHugh. This was last night. He says the Leaving Cert could start on July 29th. We finally have a date. That's a Wednesday, July 29th. And I don't know how that's going to go down with Leaving Cert students. So we'll discuss that and more on the programme. Somebody called Simon. Simon, I don't have your surname, is celebrating his 50th birthday today. And I've been asked to say happy birthday, Simon. No party until COVID-19 is all over. Love and best wishes from your wife, Sheila, and your children, Lydia, Christopher and Nadia. And I've just realised the surname is on it because it's at the end of the kids' names. It's Walton. So Simon Walton and uh, um, all from uh, Drimma League. Happy birthday to you, Simon. Hope you're having a lovely, lovely day. And it's kind of strange to be celebrating a birthday with the COVID-19 restrictions. And I do feel uh, my uh, my hubby has a, a special birthday coming up, a significant birthday coming up in uh in oh god, I forget his birthday at the end of August, and um, my young niece who's living with us is having a twenty first in September as well. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, with all of these restrictions going on, so many people have got significant birthdays. It's hard enough to you know a normal birthday, but when it's a significant one and when you would have celebrated and had a you know maybe a bit of a party or whatever, and you can't do it, it, it is tough. But many many more birthdays to come when we will be able to celebrate. And actually, I had a lovely email in from Canada from Ontario, Hamilton, Ontario in Canada from Joan and John Barthel to say hi while we are in the grip of this COVID-19 could you wish my family in Cove all the best they love your programme and they listen all the time my sister Julie has a birthday coming up and we were planning on all seven of us getting together but now sadly that won't be please would you say happy birthday to her over the radio stay apart and stay safe and that's from Joan and John Barthel in Hamilton in Ontario in Canada now I don't have Julie's surname so I don't know if Julie is Bartel or not but Julie and all the family in Cove just to say that Joan and John in Ontario in Canada they may be a long way away but they are very very much at thinking of you 1850-333-103 and just a couple of quick texts in about ladies whistling and how I remember my mother saying ladies should never whistle somebody says when a lady whistles our lady cries. My mother used to tell me when we were when we were young, says one texter. And Kathleen says, Hi Patricia, my mother used to say a whistling woman and a crowing hen will drive the devil from his den. Eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Texter WhatsApp oh eight six two one oh three one oh three. Court today on C one oh three with Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at Mallow College 
Egg foil mock quid is far lane. Shaw eight thrower C one oh three air kirkig. Hong Glare in Aklam Moy Chroma. Shan Kershi Sabigan Irish Times Air, Nogrifsha Kosulish na Florida Everglades. Ach gan and Hrogel. Awen Imid and Hiel Holesh. Agas caller, Kishkwil Irid Ek Sulhtowner Hagan Shahigan Vihula. Agas na plan the Rosnam. Hoshulod Fele, Shahil Mather Alm. Agas is counter E and will all of Tno Durhaden Gietzko Lefeshkind. And here the relic will air Ur Tuha Tastal Wit, Teroyas Ova Chroma, Hofada Lesham Moyerha. Nocta, quid denaneha, is Fari Gorkik, C103. Many people hopeful that the government will lift some of the restrictions on movement and work after the Maybank holiday weekend. Containment of coronavirus will be the key to getting out of lockdown safely. So joining us for our weekly chat is Dr Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie. Good morning to you, Nick. Welcome to the programme. OK, are you confident, Nick, that some of the restrictions can be lifted or is it still too early? Um, well, I, I think certainly it's, and it's clear from uh, on Taoiseach's uh, interview last night that there's going to be no change before the 5th of May. Um, but I think then that it's not a matter of confidence, how confident I am that, that restrictions can be lifted. I, I think that there, we're now in a balance. So, And that balance is in preventing the, the virus from spreading and also in, in, I suppose, facilitating some form of economic activity. And it's not that those two things aren't linked. They're obviously very closely linked. And that the longer that we don't, the longer we don't have economic activity, actually, the more we risk the health of the nation in other ways. Mm. Um, uh, so, so I think that what what is safe to say is that uh, there has been. Uh, if, if we look at if we look back, particularly over the last number of weeks, we, we often talked about the, the, the metrics that we really needed to look at were were the mortality rates and the ICU rates and the hospital admission rates. And if we look at, okay, certainly 730 deaths is a, a huge amount and, and, and very tragic in, in each individual case. Um, but we were expecting more. Uh, eight weeks in, we were expecting more. Uh, if you look at the... Um, so lives the, have been saved, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So, so lives have been saved. And, and, and they, 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 I suppose within that, there are 9,000 people who have been reported to have recovered from COVID and yeah. 850 have recovered having been in hospital and discharged. And we actually have like two-thirds more people go to ICU and recover than go to ICU and die. So so there are some... Like, I, I, I don't want to be overly positive because I don't think this is a, a place for, for being too positive. But I think that, that we can reflect on uh, the, the, the effort everybody has went to, the expert advice we have received uh, as having had some some good effects, but I also think that the the virus is still among us. It's still replicating among us. It's still, we're still getting new cases, um, and when society opens up in some form, as I'm sure that it will have to, uh, the virus it, it it will spread again. So 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 I, I I think a good analogy, Patricia, might be that if the if COVID nineteen in Ireland was a marathon, we've just finished training. And the marathon is about to be, about to begin. I was reading uh, in the paper today uh, a quote from Dr. Owen DeBarra. He's the infectious disease specialist in uh, Beaumont. And he said, you know, the number of COVID-19 deaths, it's falling, but we need to stick with the plan and abide by the restrictions to, oh, to reduce the spread. Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and, and while the restrictions are in place in the form that they're in, it's so important that we all... Uh, maintain our enthusiasm for sticking to them 
uh, because it's it's the only thing that will stop the spread. And this is our best opportunity. I, I honestly don't think that we will have another opportunity um, for lockdown or for restricted economic and social activity like we've had in the last five weeks uh, or four weeks and with a week, with a week to go. Uh, so, I, so I think that to to, ru- to to ruin that or to risk not taking full advantage of that uh, would be would, would be very, I suppose, very very serious indeed. And just as I suppose, it might be interesting for people to know that, and if anybody who listens to the show regularly might remember that in back in January and early February, we were actually talking about a month outbreak, and yeah. we had seen more months in those two months than we had seen in the entire of last year. But we're now seeing that the, the, these. I suppose distancing measures that we've been practicing have actually interrupted the transmission of months as well. So, the, like what we've been asked to do, has had had beneficial effects. Obviously, coronaviruses and COVID nineteen is, is the main uh, thing that we're looking at. But there are other, I suppose, infectious diseases that haven't had the chance to spread as well. And it's important that we do keep those those measures up. Like this, uh, we, we won't be reverting to this type of lockdown, or it would be very regressive if we had to. And uh, the next phase, I think, what it will look like is there will be um, a gradual release of the uh, of the restrictions. And it might be helpful for people, Patricia, just to, to hear the WHO's advice on, on what, those, what we need to do to put ourselves in a position where the restrictions can be uh, controlled. So the first thing they say is you have to control transmission in the, in, in the community. And we're, we're on the path for that. So our, our, our reproductive number, or the R0, as they call it, we want that to be less than one. We're being told now by the experts that they think this is less than one, right. which means that for every person that's infected, they infect less than one person. So if you're if you're or not, or your reproductive number was two, it would mean that for every person who's infected, they infect two people, and those two infect another two each. So it's four. Whereas when it started, that number was was much higher. It was much higher. Yeah, yeah. it was four and a half or yeah, something at yeah. that start. And and we and we consider that it's an exponential growth. That's why that number is so important. That that that, 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 that there's a there's a, like it, it increase a number of folds with each step of of, of of the transmission. So so everything we've done today has has met the WHO criteria one, which is transmission to be controlled. And we're not there yet, but, but that's what we're doing. And the second thing, then they say, is that your health system should have capacity in place to de- to, to to detect isolate and treat. And so, again, we've talked a lot over the last number of weeks about the difficulties with testing. It's a two-step process. We take the sample, and that's one, one part of that. We've lots of capacity for that with 40 sampling centres around the country. But then we, we met a, a kind of a logjam or a bottleneck in, in the testing part in the labs. And, and we're told yesterday, so Killian the Gascon has said, and he's the chair of the National Public Health Emergency Team, that we now have capacity in the labs, importantly in the labs, to test 9,000 patients a day. So we have the, so we have now got the detection and the, the I suppose the diagnostic part and now we, we've had the last four or five weeks I suppose training for the marathon that's why I'm seeing the analogy of training for this is to isolate those people who are identified as being positive and, and contact trace them and isolate their contacts or quarantine their contacts so I think in those first two bits we're doing okay and then the third bit I think this might be interesting for the listeners that the outbreaks are minimised in special settings for example healthcare settings and nursing homes and, and there's been a lot of I suppose upset and controversy around the, the fact that in Ireland we seem to have done very well on, on the first first bit anyway, controlling community transmission but that unfortunately our nursing homes have been disproportionately affected. It's a very contagious virus and I think again in fairness to the public health um, teams, 
that if we didn't control it in the community, we were never going to be able to stop it going into nursing homes. So, so it wasn't that there was an over or, or too much of a focus on the community at the expense of nursing homes. It kind of, they, they were running in parallel. There were things happening in nursing homes, and, and there was advice being developed for nursing homes. But if we didn't stop in the community, well, nursing homes there was no way of stopping it getting yeah. into nursing to the nursing homes. Yeah, yeah. Going yeah. To so that's the third bit. And then the fourth bit is that preventive measures in place in workplaces and schools. I think if you look at what Tom Parlin and the Construction uh, Industry Federation uh, have done over the last week, they've produced their own suggested document about how construction sites can go back to work with physical distancing, about having a, a COVID inspector on sites. And, you know, so, so, they, so they've taken, they've taken the, the challenge and they've looked at how they can present solutions. And the teacher class might actually said as well that he would encourage businesses to, to look at how I saw that work. yeah I thought that was really good I mean do it now yeah. rather than wait yeah. on if, yeah. if there is an answer but the, the issue on the pubs because I know we had the vintners on uh, yesterday and Simon Harris at the weekend the publicans would say through a spanner in the works when he said that you know he can't foresee pubs reopening until we have a vaccine available would you agree with Simon Harris? Yeah I, I think that, that, that and, I, and, I, and I would really you know, I mean I've one of my close friends is a publican, and it's, it's, so it's something that that, that I, I, I do have empathy for for the publicans. But I can't see, like what I said to my my, my friend, was, look, how can you uh, implement uh, physical distancing in the pub? And if it was, like, and he just said, look, it's not possible. Like we're our our, our business model is based on having, you know, let's say, a hundred customers a night. We can't have them all at two meters, or they'd be going down, they'd be going out through the village. You know, that what that won't work. And as well, unfortunately, when people are in the pub having fun, you know, when you get a little bit merry or intoxicated, yeah. the physical distancing is then out the window. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it might have been okay at 8 o'clock, yeah. but when you get yeah. toward to midnight, yeah. it's completely... Yeah, it's back, yeah. it's back slapping and sci-fi. So, so unfortunately, that is a very tough sector to get, to get back in, and we would really need to have some security around knowing that we can prevent spread through vaccine immunity or through herd immunity. And we don't really have any... I suppose, real comfort that either of those are going to be available to, to us anytime soon. I, w- uh, I mentioned this morning, because I'm always trying to pick up glimmers of, of good news, this v- vaccine trial that's starting in Oxford no, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you taking hope and comfort from that? Uh, look, I think what they've done is that they, they, they have I think they had significant work done on a, on another coronavirus uh, from the from the MERS Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, coronavirus that was uh, around well, a number of years ago now. But but I think they said so they had a platform for the vaccine, and now they're they're, they're using that platform to develop um, a COVID nineteen vaccine. I think there's no guarantees. Uh, there's like the coronavirus. I'm not a virologist, but my understanding of the coronavirus is that it doesn't in the ways it is. I suppose interacts with our immune system, it doesn't confer immunity easily um, and we don't know, like from either infection or from a vaccine, will we get good immunity in that we won't get infected or will we still get infected just be less severe in our body or we don't know will the vaccine then give us long term immunity, so will it be like flu vaccine need every year or will it be that you need one now and you need a booster like the NMR vaccine so, so, there's, so there's really lots of uh, unknowns about that and one of the interesting things about the Oxford group is that they, they've acknowledged that even if they're successful and they and they get a vaccine on the pitch in a number of months say six months that to to uh, manufacture the vaccine in the volumes that the world needs so it doesn't need millions of doses it needs billions. hundreds of millions of yeah. doses it, 
might need a billion doses, and that that, that will take still that that scaling up of the number of vaccines needed uh, will take a lot of time. And then that will so if a vaccine becomes available, that will then give each country a dilemma. So that the, 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 the public health authorities in the country will have to say who gets the vaccine first. We only have say Ireland get a hundred thousand of them. Do we give it to the vulnerable? Do we give it to the healthcare workers? Do we give it to the mm-hmm. shop workers? You know. So how what is the best use of that vaccine? So I think that although and, and, and their timelines are, are reasonably short. They're talking about the autumn to have a, a, some of those trials finished and maybe to, to have a vaccine available. I don't think that we're going to have, like, a, you know, I'm going to say commercially available, but you know what I mean, yeah. a, a, a vaccine available that is scalable, that is deliverable to masses of population and not just uh, targeted groups for even with, with, with the Oxford group for 12 to 18 months. Okay, at least it's a step in the right direction, so we'll take comfort from that. Tell me about Dr. Paul O'Brien, the Corkman in China, and a WhatsApp group that was set up, and how he's managed to source uh, PPE and, and testing equipment. Um, oh, I, I, well, to be fair, I think that, that, that Paul would take a call from you himself, but um, Paul is a very interesting uh, man. I don't think he might be saying that. Look, I'm uncomfortable talk, talking on his behalf, but his background is he's, he's, he's a Corkman. He studied genetics in UCC. He has been working, uh, in, as I understand it, between uh, China and Europe uh, in, in compliance and other industries over the last seven or eight years. He, he studies medicine in China, and I think he's just finished his final exams before Christmas. So he studied, studied medicine in Chinese, um, so that will give you a level of the, the intellect of the man. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, he, um, and he was just home at Christmas, as I understand it, having passed his final uh, medical exams, and because the Chinese New Year is just a little bit later, he was delayed. He, he was delaying going back, and then the 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 the, the COVID nineteen started in uh, in China, and and and, and that was the rest they say is is history. But he, in fairness to himself and a lot of other, so was uh, he? Did he make it back to China? No, no. He has been court based in, in our, oh, okay. In and but he had the contacts. Yeah, he had the contact. And, and in fairness, like, I don't mind saying it, it, it was Paul, really, who opened my eyes to how infectious this virus was going to be and really uh, how much illness it is capable of causing very quickly. Um, and I'd be very thankful to him for that, in fairness, you know. Yeah. But, but, but there are other, I think Paul would be the first to say he's a very modest man, that, 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 that there have been other medics, like Sheen O'Connell, uh, respiratory uh, physician in Cork, who, local medics who, who have been, uh, I suppose, working hard to, to, to bring evidence to, to this uh, to the virus. And of course, like our, our national public health emergency team is, is full of experts and, they, and, and they've been the real drivers with the, with the HSE. So it's, it's been a real team effort. The, the, I suppose, what, what have we all, enough PPE now? No. No. Uh, and we won't have, unfortunately. Um, so if you, if, you, if you think that we're going to have pockets of infection, and, and, and look, society is going to, to change a little bit, so hopefully it will, it, it will revert back, but we're talking about 12 months. Like, so like in, in our own practice, because we know we're not going to get enough PPE, we've actually started to, to work with, with an English firm about creating a healthcare barrier. So basically what that's going to look like is that um, you'll have the, the doctor or the nurse on one side without PPE but on the other side the patient okay. and, the, and, and, and the, the barrier is, is a pliable see-through um, screen of tough plastic yeah screen, like but, what but, we're seeing in a lot of the supermarkets yeah, yeah. yeah but, no, but, but, but the supermarket ones are rigid this one will be it'll, it'll be um, 
or it'd be like a thick plastic apron, for example. But, but I'm talking really thick, really good, good quality plastic that you can see too. That that, that has gloves that come out, but, but so that and the gloves are also uh, in a protective material. And so the the, the, the doctor and nurse on one side, they put their hands to the gloves and allow the damage. How fantastic! And and, put, and and it's and as I say, it's, look, it's it's reusable and and it's cleanable. So look, we're. we're We've taken those steps because we're fairly sure that there's going to be an ongoing need for it and there's also going to be an ongoing shortage of personal protective equipment for doctors, nurses. Yeah, and it's, so it's, a, it's a worldwide thing. Actually, interesting, when you talk about um, patients coming into the, the GP, are you seeing a fall in the number of patients attending for non-COVID-19 illnesses? Yeah, we are, unfortunately, and thanks for bringing it up. Um, like I think that two things happened. I, I, th- I think four weeks ago, uh, and we saw it by our own practice phone call volume, we, we were running at about 1,700 calls a week, 1,800 calls a week pre-COVID. And then the, the first week or two of March, when it kicked off initially, and the, 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 I suppose the first case was, had, 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 been, had been noticed in the hospital, our, our calls were up to 4,000 calls the, the, the following week. Uh, it, it remained in the, the high 3,000s for a week or two and it's come back down to 2,300. But I think what has happened is that patients, one, presume that we're very busy with COVID-related illness, that we have been, that that has quietened somewhat, but, 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 but they're right that we, we were busy with that. Uh, but they also then presume that, that they don't want to contact us because they, like, their illness maybe isn't as important as COVID. That's not true. We 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 was we, we, we regard all illness as, as being important. Obviously, COVID has been front and centre for the last number of weeks and will remain like on the pitch for the next probably number of months. But we still need to continue with the other care we were doing, and that can be broadly broken up into two groups. The acute care, so somebody gets a pain in their belly, don't ignore it. I mean, if you have a problem swallowing, don't ignore it. If you have a, you know, a, a non-respiratory illness, don't ignore it. Please contact your GP. And then, so that's the acute care. And the other thing then is that the, the, the management of chronic care, the management of diabetes, the management of chronic lung uh, problems like COPD and asthma, you know, the manage of, management of cardiovascular disease like irregular heartbeats and um, ischemic heart disease or post-heart attack. We need to be, continue to manage all of those chronic illnesses as closely as we were before because if we don't, patients don't do as well, and we know that for years. So, so I would say that delayed care... Like it's going to increase illness and mortality in the community for non-COVID illness. That's why it's important that GPs are, are, are contacted if there's a, if patients are worried. GP is open, and I think it's important that patients know that we're open for business. It's not business as usual, but we're open for all the usual business. So if you feel unwell, please do contact your GP, and your GP will okay. be delighted to take that yeah. call. Okay. Uh, finally, uh, John and Donnell wants to know: Does Doctor Nick think caravan parks will open in the summer? I think we're already trying to make plans. Um, uh, I'm unsure. I suppose is, is 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 the honest answer. I think again, it might come down to the number of um, the number of caravans in the park and the number of people who congregate. So, um, so I, I I I I'm unsure. To be fair, I think it's probably lower down on the priority list unfortunately yeah. and actually I can yeah. also see someone Anne is asking about the bingo uh, really missing out on her game of bingo and bingo can be the social outlet for so many people uh, she's making the point there's never any more than 120 people at the bingo hall and you could do social distancing if yeah, you really I, wanted to I think that's a good example of where if the bingo operator was to produce um, 
you know, a protocol that ensures social distancing. Yeah, and you could, you could have everybody t- yeah. two metres apart, yeah. And you could have, okay. you could have hand washing facilities on the way in, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know? Okay, listen, we'll talk again, uh, Nick. Yeah, in the meantime, thank, thank you. you for that. Thanks Bloody for joining sorry. us. That is uh, Dr. Nick Flynn from my corkgp.ie. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. And then... Hello, this is Declan Nerny here. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Daniel O'Donnell here, and you're listening to Country and Irish with Eric Griffin on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish from 8. Right here on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just a, a quick text in on um, when I was talking with Dr. Uh, Nick Flynn in the last hour and we were, you know, talking about around GPs and he was making the point that people need to go to the GP if you have other issues outside of COVID, not non-COVID-19 related and that he and other GP practices are seeing a fall off in people attending. And we know we announced this last week that there's a new system put in place. If you need a repeat prescription, you can ring your GP practice and they will email your prescription to your nominated chemist and that's to save people going to the doctors and people welcomed that. Well, a listener has texted in to say, Patricia, I rang my medical centre for a repeat prescription and yes, as was announced last week, it was sent on to my local chemist. When I was speaking to the receptionist at the doctor's surgery, she mentioned a fee of €30 Euro for a three-month prescription. Could you ask your listeners where they told this? And that's obviously for non-medical card uh, patients. A number of GP practices started to introduce that. You know, if you rang up just looking for a repeat prescription, you went and collected it. And I think the figure... Uh, the, uh, certainly the figure for a one month re- repeat prescription was 10 euro so obviously it's 30 euro for a three month is it 60 euro if you get a six month one many many GP practices brought that in maybe it's new to your medical centre but uh, listeners wondering now the fact that you're not physically going to the doctor's surgery the fact that you're just ringing and then they're, they're emailing it through to a GP practice they're still but the practices will say there's still work involved in that. But anyway, a listener is wondering, are other listeners hearing the same thing when they ring their GP practice? They're not going in to collect the prescription, but the prescription has been sent electronically to the chemist. Have they been asked to pay a fee for that? Uh, if you can let us know, 1850, just want to find out how widespread it is. 1850-333-103. Now, also last week, it was confirmed that the leaving certificate would be postponed until late July or August. And that, as we know, was due to the impact of COVID-19 and the ongoing school closures. Then yesterday, we had the Minister for Education come out and say that the leaving cert could start, finally giving a date on July the 29th. Alicia O'Sullivan is a sixth year student at Skibbereen Community School and she joins me with her thoughts on this year's exams. Good morning to you, Alicia. Morning, I'm very well. Um, Now, what was your initial reaction to the news that the Leaving Cert would go ahead? Obviously not on the June date, but much later in the summer. What was your initial reaction to that last week? I suppose I was really looking for clarity in anything before that announcement was made and I wrote a letter to the SEC and everything about that. But I suppose, in my opinion, the worst thing that could have happened was that they announced the postponement with very other little detail, which is then exactly what they did. 
which kind of made the situation worse, in a sense, because it added multiple more questions to a problem and a situation that was already brewing and students were already calling out on social media and writing letters for clarity. And it almost added more confusion, in my opinion. So then last night when you heard Joe McHugh say could start on the 29th of July, has that given you some clarity? Well, I suppose, does it make much of a difference? Really, no, because we kind of knew it was going to be the last week of July. I mean, he was asked multiple questions, like, you know, extremely important questions about projects. There was no answer to that. He was asked what happens for people who are high risk going into exams. And to be honest, I think every student going in there is high risk because if we all get it, I mean, I'm immunocompromised, so obviously I know that I'm more vulnerable if I get it. But if a student gets it and carries it home, I mean, everyone she's living with then is vulnerable because people can carry COVID-19 without having any symptoms. If there was no answer to that question, and then there was a direct question saying, OK, but if this cannot happen, hypothetically, in July, August, what's our plan B? And the answer was, well, we have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F and G. And then continue to not tell us what any of them were. Yeah, that's sort of leaving you all uh, slightly in, in limbo for sure. You wrote that letter that you spoke about and, and thank you for sending it on to us because it was, it was a powerful piece. I, when I read it myself, I was saying to John Paul in the office, if you did that and you're leaving Sir Donner's English, it would be a great <laughs> essay, by, by the way. Um, but but it, the one point that I really thought you wrote about quite strongly, you outlined about how difficult it can be for students to study at home. Just Just explain your thought patterns there and, and how hard it can be for some yeah. students. Well, I mean, there's there's multiple reasons. And like you said, thanks for, you know, reading my letter, of course. But for some people, like I live in rural Ireland, live in Skibreen, out just outside in Castlehaven. Our internet here is not great. And I know people surrounding me, their internet reception isn't great either. So that's a number one problem for turning around essays or going to online classes. Number two is the technology, not having maybe a laptop or sharing one laptop amongst the family, people who are working at home, or just simply uh, not having a laptop at all in the household, which is, you know, the case for a lot of families, actually. And number three is families who may be working and, uh, you know, exam year um, children who might be looking after younger children in the family might not have the time. Very common. That's very common. Yeah, absolutely. The time or the physical space in the house to have quiet time to study for that length of time in the day on their own. And then there's students who simply cannot study at home. It just doesn't work for them in that mass amount. They need a library or a classroom or that space. And we're also forgetting about people who need the extra support in school from support teachers and support um, you know, classes during the day that they go to during religion times or anything like that. And it's not even people who need the special help. There's people like myself who are in mostly higher level classes but just find it extremely difficult to have that productivity level at home from nine to four in the day. And then also I've been seeing a lot online and it seems to vary from school to school and teacher to teacher. Some teachers seem to be great about keeping in contact with students and trying to, you know, help them as best they can. But then there's also stories of some pupils who are hearing little or nothing from various teachers. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm quite lucky because 
all of my teachers have been really good with me. That's just my personal situation. But I know that there are students, because obviously when I wrote the letter, I wanted to get as many different backgrounds as possible and perspectives, including the letter. So I reached out on social media. There was plenty of students who had teachers who hadn't contacted them since we left school. There's plenty of teachers who weren't making efforts to do video classes at least a couple of times a week. I mean, I think it probably would be difficult to do classes every day, you know, because if you had a class every 40 minutes, it would just be overload probably. But there's definitely a way of doing classes every second day or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could work a timetable around it. Now, whether it's the technology internet or, you know, having children at home thing, I don't know. Like, I mean, like nobody could say, but I'm sure that most teachers are trying their best. But, like, it's not their fault in essence because the Leaving Cert was never designed to be taught online. And for it to be expected to be at this time is just, it's ludicrous to me. And it's passing the blame on to teachers when the problem is that the department are expecting the teachers to do this. When it's simply, it's not possible in a sense for some people. It's also not entirely perfect, which they're expecting it to be the same as if you're sitting in a classroom, which is not. What do you believe is would be the correct decision for the Leaving Cert class of 2020? Well, I don't think there's a correct decision. I'll make that clear before I start any controversy. But I do think that we had a, we had a serious problem. It wasn't the most vital issue among the issues we currently have. But it was a serious problem that needed a solution, obviously, because we need marks, we need grades, we need a leaving cert to go forward after all of this. But this is going to continue for a long while. And I think they've only added problems to something that could have just been shut and closed if they had gone with something different. Now, look, there is a multitude of different uh, options for that, one of them including predicted grade system, some sort of model or system that will just give us grades based on our work ethic. And there's an argument towards that. that there's, I mean, the, Joe what if you weren't that, happy, though, with the grade? Well, I mean, they could set up an appeal system. And also, it's, it's, it's good to note that the SEC gives predicted grades every year to, I think last year it was like around 150 students who had said that, you know, certain things like, oh, there was noise in the exam hall, the person next to me was talking or you know, yeah, yeah. they gave they gave the predicted grades. And Joe McHugh said last night the issue, he was asked directly, why didn't we go with predicted grades? And he said that they're because of bias. So it worries me to think that the predicted grade system is being thrown out primarily because of bias. I mean, if we have that much bias in our education system and between teachers and classrooms, that's probably something we should be looking into. It doesn't say much for the teachers. I'm sure teachers wouldn't be, wouldn't be too happy for a comment like that from the Minister for Absolutely. Education. Did Would I be right in saying that all of the pre's had already been completed before the lockdown? Um, well, I haven't gotten my English back and I haven't got my French paper back. Now, that was through my own fault because I didn't go in the last week because of the whole hype over COVID-19 and obviously... Like I said, I'm at higher risk. So, but none of my class have got our English exam back, um, and that's simply because they hadn't come back from the marker. But you had sat time. the exams. Yeah, we had sat all the see, exams. I, I see. I'm wondering, could they be part used with a predictive grade? Well, I think 
there is probably a system where they could look at our mock, our Christmas results from the last yeah. few years, our yeah. summer tests from last year, and simply our work ethic and class tests, things like that. I think teachers know each student well enough. You know, the classes aren't made out of 50, they're made out of 20. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And how are you, on personally, Alicia? How are you coping with it all? I mean, you, you, you've you've explained that you're you're immune, you're immunosuppressed. In what way? Yeah. So I uh, became immunosuppressed about two years ago. I went on medication, and I suppose I'm doing okay to be honest. But I know that there are people obviously worse than I am. But at this situation, obviously, I've just had to stay at home and. My mom's really the only one who leaves to go shopping, and the rest of us stay at so home. So you're you're almost cocooning. Yeah, basically I am. Yeah, yeah. I go, you know I go for a walk or whatever. But I mean, my brother was my brother lives in Cork, and when they were about to announce kind of the lockdown measures, he was like, "Oh, you know, I think I'll come home." And mom was like, "No, you can't come home because he had been obviously out in the city and stuff." Um, whereas I had been at home for a long time before that, so. So you haven't you know, seen your brother and you haven't seen your brother then in a number of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, yeah. Like wow. you know, my mom had to make that call and it definitely wasn't an easy one to make. And are you staying in contact with your friends and, and you're doing a lot of stuff online and Zoom and do, do Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's 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 fine for young people in a sense because we were already almost talking to our friends every day online anyway, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's harder for family because we're almost not used to FaceTiming and stuff. You know, you see your family, whereas you kind of, you can FaceTime your friends. So I suppose that's kind of a strange situation. Okay, so so you still don't know for sure what's happening, except this, it could start on the 29th of July, but nobody knows. Nobody knows, yeah. Okay, all right. Listen, and, and you're trying to study away, and um, are you at it every day, or do you try and get to some study every day? Yeah, I mean, since we've come back from Easter now, I'm definitely trying to sit down every day. I kind of work better in the late afternoon, yeah, evening okay. time, so I'm just trying to get that done and work through it as best I can. Okay. All right. Listen, we wish you luck with it, uh, Alicia. And uh, please, God, we'll talk again before if the ex- before the exams, uh, if they do go ahead. Uh, but listen, look after yourself. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Alicia O'Sullivan. Very articulate, may I say, young sixth-year student at Skibbereen Community School, one of so many Leaving Cert students who still, well, it's all very much up in the air, even with the announcement yesterday from Minister for Education, Joe McHugh, because it's, it's, he's saying it could start on the 29th of July. It's, it's a tough, tough time for, uh, for students, I have to say. OK, and thank you to some people who said, OK, just on Leaving Cert, Frank says it's not the end of the world if they don't do the Leaving Cert this year. We're trying to save lives here. There's far more important things going on in the world than the Leaving Cert. There we are living in a pandemic at the end of the day. Absolutely accept that. But for the Leaving Cert students, Frank, it does seem like the end of the world. We all remember ourselves when we sat the Leaving Cert, how important it was at that time. In years to come, they'll look back on it and realise that it wasn't the be all and end all. But for them, it is as they are deciding in their future and they're trying to get points to go to college or 
to decide what career they're going to take. So it is it is important to them, and it's and it's it's wrong to to dumb it down and say we shouldn't even be worried about it. Sure, it's only the leaving search. You wouldn't be saying that if you were trying to sit the leaving search yourself. And thank you to a few people who have been on about prescription charges. Marion can say I paid ten euro for my prescription to be written up and then delivered to my chemist so I could collect my prescription. I was delighted with that. Mary's also asking why is the council yard in Kinsale closed where we bring our recycling uh, items. Well, the civic amenity sites, they're open on different days. I know we're, we're checking into it for you, so we'll just find out the, the day and times. There, I know if it's all, certainly the ones in the county are open on different days. So you need to check out the day that they're, they're opened. But all the civic amenity sites remain operational, but they're not remaining operation to any like commercial items being brought in and you're not allowed to bring a trailer. You can only go in there with your domestic rubbish and waste and uh, recycling items. And Mary says, yes, Patricia, I paid for my repeat prescription, €30, euro, happy to do so. At the end of the day, they're still working at the doctor's practices. You can't expect anything for nothing. And that's from Margaret Mary. Thank you for that, Margaret Mary. And a few other bits. I just want to give information on, on questions that have been coming in. Some questions that we had in yesterday to do with motor tax and people telling us that they had renewed their motor tax early in April and they still hadn't received their motor tax disc. So we got on to Cork County Council who tell us that the online motor tax renewals are processed by the Department of Transport, Tourism and Sport. The Department have confirmed that the processing of the online applications, it's all up to date and they're unaware of any occurrence of a delay in the issuing of the discs. Then there's the postal motor tax applications. They're processed in Cork. Motor Tax Office say they're also all up to date. So what they're now saying to us is if any customers are query about their postal application they should email motortax at corkcoco.ie or ring Cork County Council on 021 427 uh, because it could just be that the people who contact us, that was a small number, I think John Paul said it was about three people contacted us, it could just be that it's lost in the post somewhere along the line, something's happened with the application but there's, there's no reason why your motor tax disc shouldn't have arrived. There isn't any sort of a backlog. So motor tax at corkcoco.ie if you want to email or ring 021 427 And also we've had calls in on driving licence and driving licence out of date and due for renewal and learner permits running out and what are people to do and what if the Gardaí stop you and ask you for your driving licence and it is out of date. As we know, all the NDLS centres They're all closed. They have been closed now for a couple of weeks. So the Minister for Tourism, Transport, Tourism and Sport has introduced new legislation that extends the period of validity by four months for all driving licences and learner permits. Any of the driving licence or learner permits expiring between the 1st of March 2020 and the 30th of June 2020. The validity period of driver theory test certificates of competency also has been extended by four months. So if any of your licences or any of your test certificates of competency run out, 
1st of March and the 30th of June you can add an extra four months to it okay just to let people know because people are worried about that and if the Gardaí stop you there won't be an issue that you can still drive around on an out of date driver's licence for the next four months and Kathleen was on to say would you please don't forget to remind listeners to donate to small animal rescue places they surely must be struggling to stay afloat at the moment yeah and they've got they'll still have the continued food bills for all of the animals and because fundraising has grounded to a halt there's nobody out shaking a bucket at you uh, anymore so it is going to it's making it very very difficult for a lot of charities so only glad to give a mention if you have an animal welfare charity or shelter in your area and you have a bit of extra cash you might consider donating to them and Dean Mazan wants to say thanks for keeping everybody up to date thank you Dean for your call 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs a bicycle mechanic uh, stra- slash sales advisor is wanted for Cycle Scene Bicycle Shop that's in Blarney Street in uh, Cork. Carpenters are wanted to work in the Cork area. Duties will include roofing and first fixing. And production operator wanted for a part-time position in the Bandon area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. The World Health Organization has now upgraded the coronavirus to a worldwide pandemic. Here are some practical ways to protect yourself. Wash your hands properly and often. Cover your mouth and nose when you cough or sneeze. And dispose of used tissues. Disinfect frequently touched objects. Avoid close contact with people who are unwell. Don't touch your eyes, nose or mouth if your hands are not clean. And please follow travel advice from the Department of Foreign Affairs. This message is supported by Irwin's Pharmacy, Shandon Street, Mayfield and Toker. Always looking after your family. For coronavirus updates and information, stay listening to C103. Now, with so much talk about lifting restrictions and people getting fed up with cocooning and not being able to travel further than two kilometres from their from their homes, I'm joined this morning by somebody who can tell us why it's so important to stay at home and do everything that we can to avoid getting the coronavirus. Corkman James Davis joins me to share his COVID-19 journey. Good morning to you, James. How are you keeping? I'm keeping very well. And I suppose, first thing, the most important question to you, how are you doing and are you now fully recovered? Mm, technically, no. Um, obviously, because of the virus, my immune system was kind of compromised from that. So subsequently, I've kind of gotten a chest infection and throat infection uh, following on from the actual virus. So Goodness not 100%, me. but... Um, Getting there. Better than what I was. Great. And we're talking about well over a month at this stage. You were actually diagnosed positive for COVID-19 on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. So take me back to the, I suppose, the week before that. What what were your early symptoms? Um, I kind of started on the 15th. uh, Sorry, not the 15th. About the 12th, I'd say. Um, It was basically I just woke up and it felt like a little tickly cough at the back of the throat and that's all it felt like. Um, it just felt annoying, coughing every couple of minutes, like, and that's what it was. It just started off that way. That was on Thursday, we'd say. Um, Friday, 
got a little bit worse of a cough and my voice started going. I just thought it was laryngitis, just a bad cough. Um, and then Saturday was a little bit worse again, sore throat on top of that. So it was actually that day I started uh, self-isolating um, from everyone because I have two cocooning parents that are next door to me. Um, I have a 20-month-old uh, little girl and my partner as well in the house. So I kind of just isolated myself from everyone. Um, you started kind of to think You started to think this could be COVID-19. Do you know what? No, it was just, you hear it on the news, you heard about the cases everywhere in Italy and China and Korea and everywhere. I was like, do you know what? No, it's the weekend, it's a long weekend. It's better to just start now and rather than take a risk. Okay. Um, so when did you make so the decision to call a doctor? Sunday. Uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I started getting kind of quite cold hot and cold flushes um, kind of shivering I was like yeah this is more than just a cough at this stage so called to my partner um, she rang South Dock for me um, South Dock were going to get onto my DP to organise uh, for a test so that was on Sunday come Monday heard nothing uh, from anyone so uh, we rang my GP and they has actually gotten nothing passed on from South Dock at all which was disappointing concerning. yeah yeah um, got on to my GP who was absolutely fantastic um, he was I took him over four hours to get through to someone to actually organise a test now, at this um, stage, you're feeling, you're starting to feel unwell. Oh, I was already unwell. Yeah, I was, okay. I was still, I had the fever. Um, the cough. The, the cough, the sore throat. I had every symptom that they were talking about. Breathing was starting, starting to get a little bit heavy um, at, at that day. But it wasn't anything that I was concerned about. Um, so he... Got the test. Um, I was brought by ambulance to the CUH because I'm diabetic, so they put me as a high risk category. Um, what was the testing procedure like? It's the. If I'm being honest, yeah. I thought it could have just been done at home because basically all it was is that I could. I was feeling fine enough that I could have driven there myself, went in, got tested, drove, drove home. But the HSE's uh, chief doctor insisted that I go by ambulance. Um, so went in, sat down in an empty room, person came in, um, gave me a swab through the nose um, and says, right, you can go home. And I was like, how, how am I to get home? And they're like, you have to organise that yourself. And I was like, <laughs> so I have to. I had to call my brother because I couldn't call my parents. And um, and, now, and now suddenly you have to sit in a car with your brother, who you who who you're Correct. who you're now in danger of passing it on to. <clears throat> yep. Okay. So I put him in. So he had to then when I got confirmed as having it, 
he had to then go into isolation for two weeks because he had been in close contact with me. And did he get uh, it? He, he he didn't no. pick it up. He didn't think that. Okay. Okay. So you um you how quickly did you get a phone call with the result? I got a phone call from my actual own doctor the following morning. Oh, that was quick. Okay. Okay, yeah. now remember, we're uh, talking about this is a month ago. This is around yeah. St. Patrick's Day. So, because I know it's, the, the procedures have changed since. Yeah, you know. I, I think, as far as I'm aware, it's within the first 70 in the country. Oh, oh, oh goodness me. Okay. All right, so you, so you get the news that you tested positive, which obviously doesn't come as any surprise to you because you've got all the symptoms and you're feeling unwell. Yeah. But you're not sick enough to go to hospital. So you're at home no. self-isolating. What, what was that like? Uh... I, I, I say the toughest part for me is because, one, I have a young child, so she was kind of wondering where I was, wanting to come into the room, uh, calling out, yes. and obviously I wanted to hold her and couldn't do any of that. Um, then my partner, obviously she was trying to look after me and look after my daughter, and she was kind of starting to feel unwell. Um, she was kind of getting a cough and feeling just very run down um, both of us thinking that oh that's because she's trying to look after both of us she's worried about me worried about my daughter um, subsequently turned out that she had the virus at the exact same time um, so yeah it, so, so now it. so now you've got the two of you in the, in the house with the baby yeah both of us with the virus. Um, also, turns out my father, who's cocooning, had the virus as well. Um, two of those were asymptomatic. Didn't get. They got a, a cough, and that was pretty much it. Whereas I got it a lot worse with my breathing. Did your partner get it as bad as you? No. No. Okay. No. So you then you talk to me about the breathing, James, because when you hear of anybody getting COVID nineteen bad, they talk about how scary this yeah. this ability to not breathe, to be able to breathe. The way I explain it to people that have asked me is, it feels like having a very bad chest infection while being at altitude. If you could imagine that kind of, My God. you hear of like runners go to altitudes to increase their lung capacity yeah. because obviously it's been it, it, at one point literally walking from the bed to the toilet which would say six foot felt like walking two, three miles it, it, you're just literally out of breath instantly Now I'm assuming you were told if your symptoms get worse you call an ambulance and and you go into hospital. Did you at any stage contemplate picking up the phone and calling for an ambulance? Um, One, yeah. Uh, About night seven, night eight I woke up at I think it was about 4am and it literally felt like Someone had put a lead plate on my chest and I was only getting about an eighth of my lung capacity of a breath. Um, and at that point, I kind of worried. Um, but then I kind of just realised panicking wasn't going to help. 
the breathing either. So once I kind of calmed down, um, it was a little bit better, but it was still scary, I, I would say. Um, so I was contemplating at that point, and I was like, if it stays this way for another 12, 24 hours, I was, I was going to call an ambulance. But thankfully, it got, it eased a little bit the following following evening. So that was the, almost the peak of it for you and then you it, yeah. it eased off. And you particularly, James, didn't want to go to hospital. Oh God, no. Explain why. Um, the thing, problem I had is that I couldn't sleep because you're in bed for nearly two weeks so your, your body actually gets quite sore just lying in bed. So I wasn't able to sleep quite well or at point at all so the only thing you can do is either read a book read a magazine but at four o'clock in the morning you're just going to go on your phone so unfortunately through social media you're just looking at article upon article and i just came across one where it was it was just them telling people to actually stay inside and they explained why, and it kind of scared me. It was like, when you're in isolation, you're on your own. If you have to go to hospital, you're in an ambulance with strangers, uh, the paramedics that you don't know, so you're on your own. If you're in isolation in the hospital, you're on your own. If your illness gets worse, you're on your own. And then, because scary parents, like, unfortunately for the people that have passed away, they're on their own, and I didn't want that to happen. So that kind of scares myself. And then, obviously, when I told my partner about this, scared her because no one wants that for anyone. Yeah, it's the reason that we, on Monday, had the Irish Hospice Foundation on. I mean, they're, it's the one thing they're calling on the HSE to change the rules and regulations to make sure that when somebody's at end of life, that at least one member yeah. of the family, it's 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 just, it's dreadful for the person that passes away and for yeah. the family. It's just, yeah, that I, I absolutely can understand why you you literally wanted to be, you were, you would have been on your knees before you would have picked up that phone to say, take me to oh, hospital. Yeah. yeah. Like, if I was being honest, I probably should have rang an ambulance when my breathing was as bad as it was. But, it was just out of that fear. I was like, no, I'm going to be stubborn about this and see if it gets worse. And if it gets worse, then I'll obviously have to bite the bullet and do that. But at all costs, I didn't want to win. OK, well, that stubbornness, James, is after getting you through it. And you're yeah. an, a month on, as you say, you're, you're well on the road to recovery. But are, yeah. you, are you still isolating? Are you still indoors? Are you able to get out at all? Um, the sad part is there's no real information about it. All okay. I was told was um, uh, when I first got the call from the HSE, they were like, okay, all you need to do now is isolate yourself for 14 days. That's all you're told. That is literally all you're told is isolate yourself for 14 days. If you get worse, Ring for an ambulance. Yeah. Um, Have you been back on to your GP? Um, he did ring me. He actually mm. rang me towards the end to see how I was. Um, uh, 
So I just gave him an update and he was like, if you have any issues, here's my number, give me your ring directly. Um, or if you have to ring the ambulance. Okay, but you, but so you've you've you're opting to stay indoors because you're still not feeling fully right. Um, I have gone to just go to like the supermarket because um, my partner was my partner and daughter were in isolation while waiting for testing, and my parents were both in isolation while waiting for testing, um, and I was out of the isolation period at that stage. So I have gone to the supermarket. Um, but it was at least three weeks after I was feeling unwell that I actually left the house. So you've never in all of your life experienced an illness like this? Um, Closely once. It was about 15, 16 years ago when I got the flu and it was a bad case of the flu. Um, Breathing wise, never, ever felt anything like that with the breathing. It's, breathing it, a, it's, it's actually a, the scariest part of it. Yeah, it the, sounds like you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, James. Oh, God, no. Never. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, like the flu symptoms, you get over because everyone goes through it in their life. You almost get used to knowing what that feeling is. Um, but the breathing... No, I, it's almost impossible to describe unless you've actually gone through it. Okay, question in. Could you ask James, please, um, some Nora in Skibbereen, what medication were you put on once you were confirmed positive for COVID-19? Probably would laugh at it, but paracetamol. Yeah, there, there's, there's no, there isn't um, any medication. There is nothing. No, no there's absolutely nothing. Um Paracetamol was basically for my temperature because it was spike over 38. So you'd have to take paracetamol every four hours. Um, and that would actually just bring it down to a, no- a normal temperature. Um, other than that, I I was taking myself personally, I was just taking X because I didn't want to get phlegm into my lungs. Yeah. Um, so that kind of broke that up um, but other than that there's absolutely there's nothing, nothing there, there's, there, nothing that's why that's the dilemma we face with COVID-19 there isn't there yeah. isn't uh, there isn't a cure and an obvious question I should have asked you your little girl your 21 old little girl did she get it? Nope Wow <laughs> Which is wow. fine because obviously with myself being isolated in uh, our bedroom my partner was actually sleeping in the bed with my daughter so they were in very close contact for the and she didn't pick it up isn't that interesting uh, that, that, that is interesting um, yeah. would you, so you, uh, you, your message I take it James is stay at home you know almost respect yeah. respect this like if you have any symptom even if it's a tickle in the back of your throat it's not worth the risk putting anyone anyone's life in danger it, it really isn't it's there's nothing going on. There's no restaurants open. There's no take. Well, there are takeaways open. There's no cinemas. There's no pubs. There's no concerts going on. What's hurting you by staying at home, relaxing, watching TV? It, it's not difficult. Yeah. It's uh, like I put it for example. Pierce Morgan, 
who I know a lot of people hate and despise. Yeah, he's a bit like Marmite, with the love more you hate yeah. him. Yeah. But he had a very brilliant comment about the uh, isolating. He's like, people talk about old people and that, oh, that's not my problem, I have to worry about them. But like, they went through the war for years and and had to go rationing and go into be sent out to the countryside. Children had to and they had to go into bomb shelters. Where all we're being asked to do is sit at home, watch TV, eat food, and be happy. Yeah. And be safe. Yeah. So put on What's the, so difficult about that. Yeah, put on the corona stone as a lot of people are, are talking about. Yeah. And finally a couple of people are asking, has James any idea where he picked up COVID nineteen from? Had you been in contact with somebody who tested positive? Nope. No. No. It could have been anywhere. Um, like, I went shopping twice that week because, uh, well, before I even felt unwell. So I went shopping for my parents and I went shopping for ourselves. Then I was in college myself on the Wednesday and I was at work on the Thursday and it was the Thursday I started feeling unwell. So for the college, uh, I know there was one case before me in UCC, so which is unlikely that I got it from there. Um, could have been the supermarket, could have been at work, could have been me walking into a shop randomly in, in town. You just don't could know. You just don't know. And it can be, what, yeah. seven to 11 days you, from yeah. when you met the person to to when you start showing symptoms. Listen, thank you for sharing your story with no us. Stay well and stay healthy. And uh, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, James Davis on his COVID-19 journey. And actually tomorrow, I think it's been confirmed, uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, yeah, Mary Lou of Leader of the Sinn Féin Party, she is recovered from COVID-19. Actually, Monday, I think, was her first day back at work. So she's going to join us to share her uh, COVID-19 uh, journey. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Frank in Formoy, uh, who sent in this WhatsApp earlier on. Uh, do you remember earlier I was talking about, it was with Simon before I came on air at 10 o'clock and we were teeing up the programme with him. I was talking about whistling through a blade of grass, something that I remember doing as a child. And Simon looked at me baffled. He'd never heard of it before. And that led to a lot of people saying, yeah, I remember exactly doing that. You have to hold the piece of glass piece, blade of grass between your two thumbs, hold your hands together and you blow through it and it makes a kind of a loud, kind of an unusual whistling sound. Well, Franken from Moy says, Patricia, I think the reason that the big whistling through the grass, blade of grass craze kicked off in Ireland was in the late 60s or maybe it was the early 70s, there was a very popular programme on children, a children's programme called Skippy the bush kangaroo and when the theme tune was being played a little Australian boy would pick up a blade of grass or other some other kind of leaf and he'd whistle through it and he did it in order to call Skippy the bush kangaroo and he said if you google Skippy the bush kangaroo you'll see the boy whistling at the start of the programme who remembers this?
thought there was words to it. There it is. All together now. That's it. Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Thank you, Frank, for that memory. <laughs> and he's right. At the very start of it, you could hear the boy. He whistled through the glass. Through the, uh, it was a, a leaf. I don't know if it was a blade of grass uh, or not. But maybe, I think you're right. Maybe that's where we did all start where this craze started from where we all started whistling we weren't calling our kangaroo now but we were calling I had a cat called Skippy we used to name remember that you you name cats and dogs after animals that were on the TV and TV programmes uh, so thank you Frank uh, now uh, keep your gardening questions coming in please there's a lot of those coming in for Peter we'll talk to Peter after half past twelve today but some of your thoughts coming in on the programme Dan in Mallow says morning Patricia I've been up and down to Limerick throughout the lockdown as I am a frontline worker. On the first week or two of the restrictions, I would have met maybe a dozen cars on the road at uh, 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. in the evening each day. Since this Monday, the traffic has increased, I would say, 20-fold. There are a lot more cars on the road as well as a lot more trade vans with two and three people all sitting in the front of the van. I've also noticed a few houses that have been built along the route. Building sites have reopened and the building crews are clearly in there working on these private sites. I don't recall the government announcing a reduction in the lockdown procedures, but it seems to me that some of the public have taken it upon themselves to do what they like. The Garda checkpoints also just seem to be a paper exercise now because surely the Gardaí are noticing this increase, especially in the traffic, but they're still leaving the crowds through. Maybe I'm mistaken in my observation, but that's how it looks to me. Now, I've got full admiration for my blue light frontline colleagues and we just do what we are ordered to do no questions asked it's a bit disheartening though to see a slight free for all happening now and I worry that all of the past sacrifices made by the general public and the bulk of the general public and the risks taken by our frontline workers will be wasted I hope I'm wrong we need to remember this thing is still infecting people it takes just one cough to infect a group and then it'll all take off again and that's from Dan in uh, Mallow. Thank you for that uh, Dan and I don't think Dan you're on your own because I know yesterday as well we had some calls in from people saying is it just my imagination or are people starting to notice more people out and about and I know an early text in from Mary in West Cork says hi Patricia I cannot I can get over now I cannot get over I cannot get over how busy it's getting around the place I was in Clonakilty town yesterday and it, it appeared to me to be like a normal day everybody everywhere is saying it again this morning I had to travel to get food for the next couple of days and the main road was flat out busy with cars I really think people are starting to get fed up and they're coming out now and that's from Mary and West Cork and I also think the fine weather I think, you know, when the sun shines, when it rains, you'll have everybody indoors. But I think the fine weather as well is getting people to go outside more. We're still being asked to stay at home. But I suppose if people are heading out and, you know, and people are noticing it, the social distancing is still going to be so important. You know, if you are going out, just 
please only go out for the essentials. We're still saying to the people who are cocooning, please stay cocooned. We're trying to protect you. But if you are going out, make sure that you're keeping the two metres apart from everywhere. Keep up the social distancing. And at least that way, even if people are out, you if, and God forbid that you have COVID-19, that you're not going to pass it on to anyone else or you're not going to pick it up from uh, anyone. Now, a couple of people to say hi to. Birthday request for a very special grandmother. And that's Nora Mulshanock in Drumdeer in Donneret, who is 88 today. Happy birthday to you, Nora. Your granddaughter, uh, Leah Mulshanock in Glamworth, wishing you all the best. And the messages, have a lovely day, Nana. Stay safe and miss you. Oh, bless. There are so many grandchildren missing grandma, grannies and granddads and granddads and grannies missing their grandchildren. And indeed, You've got adult ch- children missing their parents as well. It'll all be over. We'll all we'll we'll get through this. We will get through this, and we'll all get through it uh, together for sure. Hi, uh, could you could you wish Mary Healy in Drumahana happy birthday today from her daughter, sons, and her eight grandchildren? So many people having very quiet birthdays, but when it passes, we'll all have we can reschedule the birthday parties, or we can think of all the birthdays we'll have in years to come. Okay, some more of your questions. There are some. Questions for Peter. Thank you for that. Hi, Patricia. Isn't it worrying that the fires around the Chernobyl plant are still smouldering? There's nothing on the news anymore about it. It's got to be admitting radiation. Oh, my. When I heard about those fires, because I actually know the area, I've, I've been to the area. So in my mind's eye, I can see exactly where those fires were. Yes, it's a huge, huge worry and a huge concern. And... Will we hear how bad it is? Probably not. Information comes out and you're wondering how much truth is in it or not. The only thing is the sarcophagus that has gone over Reactor 4, uh, you know, you would hope that that would withstand any kind of a fire, but radiation in the ground, absolutely, and that's there for many, many hundreds of uh, years. Please God, they'll get all of those fires completely under control. And then on masks, and this I heard that, actually heard it on the news. Dr Nick, who joined us this morning, was commenting on it as well. And I've seen an email in from Councillor Deirdre O'Brien, who spoke with us on the programme yesterday. And she was talking about how she had been contacted by staff at the Foy Community Hospital. And they were concerned because they weren't given masks by the HSC. And the only people who were wearing masks and wearing the full... PPE gear was people who were nursing COVID-19 uh, patients. So Deirdre uh, says isn't it great to see after raising the issue on the programme yesterday that the guidelines have changed and this is the, the guidelines on the use of surgical masks in healthcare uh, settings has now changed. Surgical masks should be worn by healthcare workers when providing care to patients within two metres of the patient regardless of the COVID-19 status of the patient and surgical masks should also be worn by all healthcare workers for all encounters of 15 minutes or more when other healthcare workers in the workplace where a distance of two metres cannot be maintained and I'm wondering and maybe I'll get John Paul to check this with the HSE does that include the home helps because the home helps have been have been looking for masks I mean all healthcare workers they are healthcare workers so maybe we'll get back on to the HSE just to confirm because certainly all the healthcare workers working inside in hospitals and working in any nursing homes etc will all now be required to wear the masks but is it out in the community as well we'll check see the big worry and the concern here is that they'll run out of masks that's God, that's the big worry because also we're waiting on the World Health Organisation about should members of the public, should we all be wearing masks when we're out in public or not? The World Health Organisation has to date said no to that but I know 
as we speak, they're looking at that because other countries have started to do that. And Hong Kong has done it very successfully and reckon one of the reasons that they have kept very low their cases of COVID-19 is because when you're out in public in Hong Kong, you must wear a mask and you're not wearing the mask to protect yourself. If ever you see somebody wearing a mask, you're wearing the mask to protect other people because if you have the COVID-19 by you wearing the mask, you're stopping the spread. So wearing, when, when a healthy person wears the mask, they're not protecting themselves. It's you wear the mask to protect other people. And it looks like if the World Health Organization decides that everyone's got to start wearing masks when they're out in public, I don't know what we're going to do about getting enough of the masks because we know there is a problem worldwide with uh, PPE I, but I think what we're probably going to have to do is go with the homemade masks and there's some fantastic people making the masks as well and someone else has, has, has a point saying why can't there be cotton breathable masks that could be washed say in the hospital laundrettes wash them at very high temperatures likewise with the gowns um, surely if there was washable ones you could reuse them once they were, 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 were washed we wouldn't have this problem that we're having and the worldwide shortage of PPE gear. You know something? I've been saying that since the start of this whole pandemic. I've been saying that. And I'm wondering, probably now in the middle of a pandemic, isn't they're not going to look at it now. But I wonder when all this is finished and the pandemic is behind us, will they start to look at PPE, personal protection equipment, and look at are there ways that they can be reusable ones, washable ones. Now, you'd have to make sure that they're washed at very high degrees. But if you had the proper laundries and all of that and commercial laundries inside in hospitals, surely could do it. But, but yeah, I 100% agree. And I've never been able to find out anything online that would tell me why it's not possible to do it. But I certainly think, certainly, I think it's, um, it's, it's good. Um <laughs> Jim says, and thank you for your text. Um, Jim says, am I going mad? I could swear I heard you playing Skippy. Well, I'm 70 years old and I remember blowing the grass between my hands over 60 years ago. It's playing havoc on people's minds, this being locked in, says Jim. Well, well, Jim, I think when Franklin from Oi suggested to us that people started, it was the craze that was there in the 70s for blowing on the grass, he reckons could. He's not saying that it's the only reason that it started in this country. Previous generations were whistling with grass in their hands before. But I think he was saying it, the reason that it became a bit of a new craze was because of the programme and that it started, the programme started with, with the young fella whistling who he's played a grass. Heidi says, Patricia, I heard you speak with the young man James on the programme with his COVID-19 journey and I heard you ask him about breathing and how difficult it was to breathe and how, how just how scary it must be to not to be able to catch your breath. Well, Heidi says, as an asthmatic and any of us with asthma will tell you, it is very, very scary when you can't uh, get your breath. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for that. And on GPs charging for the prescription, you know where you can ring now and you get your prescription sent to your chemist, which is a fantastic service. And I'm hoping one that will remain in place long after the pandemic is gone. Because many people have to turn up to a doctor's practice just to pick up a repeat prescription. You know, the repeat prescription where everything is exactly the same, nothing changes. And I know maybe, you know, 
once or twice a year you have to go to the doctor just to make sure but once you know everything is okay there's no reason why we should be wasting doctors time when all you're doing is going in to get a repeat uh, prescription and somebody was just complaining about the fact that they had been charged for the telephone consultation Patricia RGP still have to make a living at the end of the day and they're still doing a service to their patients albeit electronically be careful that you but just be very grateful that we're not being forced to go into the surgery where you might risk catching the virus or catching something else. I think it's a really, really good service indeed. Patricia, will the list all races go on in September? There's crowds of over 20,000 attending some days. September, we're, 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 September is very much a wait and see. It's the same with the Rose of Chile Festival. I don't know if a decision has been made on that. It ties in with that, doesn't it? It's um, very much a wait and see. Anything up to August has been cancelled and they'll make decisions about September in the coming weeks. I don't think they'll leave it until September. I know somebody was on saying, could we find out about the ploughing champions? Jerry says, Patricia, the ploughing championships, will they go ahead this year? We did get something in from the ploughing champions. Ploughing, if I can find it. We've just got so much stuff on the screen and so many calls going through. Where was the ploughing one? Because, yeah, here we got on to the National Ploughing Association. They say, we're closely monitoring and following government guidelines on the COVID-19 pandemic with public health and safety our foremost priority. We will act in the best interest of the country if and when the time comes that a decision has to be made. The National Ploughing Association do not foresee that a decision will have to be made until much closer to the National Ploughing Championships which are due to be held from September September 15th, 16th and 17th. So I take it from that they're keeping their fingers crossed and hoping that we'll be at some end of the lockdown situation and that it may go ahead. Now that's a huge, huge uh, event but they haven't made any decision yet and they will they will be led by the government for sure somebody else says what about bars and hotels could you see them opening Patricia what about weddings weddings are still all up in the air if they decide to close if bars remain closed then I'm assuming it's going to be bars and hotels uh, as well because hotels and restaurants will all tie in they'll all happen at the one time so I, I, I don't know it's a shame to hear all of the summer events as another can- texter being uh, cancelled um, but I fully can understand why they're doing it says this texter we're protecting our uh, people uh, particularly disappointed for live at the marquee such a shame because this is the, I forgot that it's the last year of the marquee such a pity that that is gone the Westlife concert by the way uh, they've rescheduled the Westlife dates the two summer shows for Porky Cueve their concert for Friday the 28th of August has been rescheduled to a year just list a day away from a year. Friday the 27th of August 2021 and their Saturday date will now go ahead on Saturday the 28th of August 2021. No ticket exchange is required. All tickets are valid for the new dates subject to uh, licence. Those who have been on the Westlife journey with us, they say, know how important performing is to us but also know that safety must come first and foremost in delivering a successful tour. This is the course we need to take to ensure the protection of our fans, our crew and every around us but also to ease pressure they say on those working tirelessly to fight the uh, virus so ends the statement from Westlife so they have re- rather than cancelling they are rescheduling their concert and you do not need to exchange your tickets your ticket will be valid for the new dates The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie 
Synergy Credit Union, they have new opening times for the pandemic. They're closing at 1.30 Monday to Fridays until further notice. And they're also closed all day Saturday. Canturk Voluntary Group, the Mercy House Support Group, they're delivering essential food, medical and fuel supplies to your home. If you need to contact them, 29 Anybody looking for a helping hand in the Barry Row or Court McSherry areas asked to give Thomas a call on 85 85035099 and the Banshee branch of the Irish Red Cross they are available to help with shopping etc are members of the together for Banshee Hospital Group also helping out 087 9540779 Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie and we're constantly hearing of so many good news stories of people trying their best to help out our frontline staff and those working in the healthcare sector this morning we focus on a group of people in West Cork who are creating surgical mask straps for healthcare workers and Tony Lane joins me to explain more. Good afternoon to you Tony. Good afternoon, hi. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Now just explain to people what you've actually created. Uh, well, it isn't as much a creation uh, from us but it's uh, something that's been clinically tested in Canada. Uh, basically, uh, I suppose I'll talk about the problem first. Some of the PPE equipment that's being issued, um, they, they don't necessarily securely fit. Um, there's an awful lot of pressure on the ears, and people with hearing aids can't can't actually wear them. So what we what we've actually done is taken a design, and we're using 3D printers to complete a what takes 45 minutes um, a mask surgical mask strap. So. What you do is you attach the bands on the actual mask to the clasps. Um, so if, if you want to get a, a visual on this as we're speaking on the phone, you can go up to our Facebook page. It's West Cork Mask Straps. Um, you'll, you'll see it straight away there. Uh, and I think I'll send some details through as well to uh, your... To, to John Paul, yeah. We're, go- yeah. we're going to get it up on our, our Facebook page as well. It's one of yeah. those simple but ingenious devices. Because you, if, you, if you think, if anybody thinks of the surgical mask that goes across somebody's mouth and nose and then the elastic has to go over your ears, if you're wearing that for a long period of time, that would be uncomfortable. Uh, it is indeed. And, and you can see, uh, I suppose there's two types we, we, we were looking at the outset. We started off with an actual frame that would go up around your, your mouth and your nose and would equalise the pressure and then we spoke to Brido O'Donovan, who's the nursing director in Bandon, and she said, uh, I think this would be a very good fit. Can you do it? So in about 48 hours, the team of us, uh, Dennis Crooms, Bandon Scarty, uh, Wendy, Wendy Conan and Plan, we got together. And uh, what we're doing now is we're using multiple 3D printers. We have about six printers on the go uh, all day. We delivered 100 of the surgical mass straps to Clonakilty Community Hospital on Monday. Okay. And we've 40 gone to Bandon. Um, we have a demand, and I think uh, I've just, you know, on, on the radio, just mentioned that the IMO now um, have issued that people, or sorry, nursing staff will actually wear uh, the masks within two metres of a patient. So I think they're potentially, we're, we're on the cusp of a big we, demand. Absolutely. We just, we had it there on our news bulletin at, uh, at 12 o'clock. This is now official guidance from the HSC. So as of now, everybody nursing or in any healthcare worker providing care to patients within two metres, regardless of their COVID-19 status of the patient, must wear one of these masks. So your device is definitely going to be in high demand. And I'm assuming they're reusable. 
what, what, what we're actually doing, they are. That's the, 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 uh, they are. And what we're doing is we're, we're sterilizing them before we actually provide them, uh, dipping them into ethanol, uh, I think it's about 90% in terms of alcohol content. And then just uh, they're being distributed by the Gardaí community. So we're working with Damien White and Francis Murphy over the Bandon Garden Station. And then we have some print materials. We're working with Bandon Office Supplies, the print instructions. So they are reusable. Um, and we don't need to issue two. They can clean them down with wipes, Brilliant. or you can wash them, or you can, um, yeah, you can, you can just clean them down. Yeah, yeah. Them, Who's covering the costs? So we, uh, I suppose we fronted up with the costs, um, in terms of the group of individuals, about eight in total. And what we're doing now is we have a Facebook page where we're looking for contributions in terms of donations, um, from 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 the public. Okay. Um, I suppose our priority at the moment is to address the demand from frontline staff workers, um, from, from nursing staff, and if um, if people want to actually uh, take or create, a, a, would like to order some from us, you can go up and email westcorkmassstraff at gmail dot com. Um, so what, right now we're looking to. I suppose this started actually last Thursday and gathered momentum. We've been working through the weekend, and I think, as I said, with the IMO. That direction, though, it'll probably uh, create a greater demand. So, so um, I think we potentially might go out and seek funding. Um, you know, from from some, I know that, for example, in Kinsale, for the visor masks that uh, Eli Lilly are, are supporting some of the students down there to get more machines. And um, I think our key constraint, though, and this is the reason we got in contact with the show, was we're looking to reach out to people with three D printers. Okay, and we're also looking uh, if they have PLA. For, for which is the uh, resin that actually uh, creates the actual strap, what we can do is we can provide that uh, for the people. Now, we've ordered uh, a lot of that, from, but it's coming in from the UK and the US. So we're, 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 we're working with a current stock level and then we're using the funding to buy more stock. Okay, so the um, more 3D printers you have, the more it, of these straps you can make. Exactly, exactly. And would many businesses... Yeah across Cork City and County have 3D printers not in use? In actual fact, there was multiple 3D printers in the libraries in Cork. Okay. And what they've done now is they've brought those back in-house for the production of the visors. So there was a huge focus on visor production. Yeah. And I think this is the second type of a, a, a device that can assist. So it's a simple device, like you said. And um, I think uh, we, we uh, listening to your show, people can make uh, potentially their own masks. Yeah. I think right now at the front line, and I've talked to some of the front line staff, the nature of the personal protective equipment is strong in ICU. But the, because of the actual fact that, that there's a worldwide shortage, that you may end up having to go and potentially make your own mask, or they may be looking at alternative designs. At least this will create, as I said, a secure fit take pressure off the years and, and then assist people. If they and what, what, what I particularly like about it as well is the fact that it holds it securely across your nose and mouth that you won't be fiddling with it because I've even noticed when I'm out and about because you know a lot of people have decided themselves to wear masks and the one thing if you are opting to use any kind of a surgical mask when you're out and about is to make sure that you're not constantly touching your face and I see people because they slip and they move and they're trying to fix them and they're constantly at them. Whereas if you've got a strap like this on, it'll just hold it firmly in place and you won't need to touch it. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I, I have a mask we've had to test it. As I said, we showed it to some of the ACU staff yesterday 
um, in, in, in CUH um, and it, it is uh, it, it just means you can stay away from it uh, there are various procedures the World Health Organization have details on how you should take I mean one of the things the ICU staff are saying is how to take on and off Mac yeah. uh, it is an actual an owner's task and you know you should go up to the WHO if you want to go up and, and, and get guidance on that but it, it does help it does assist um, and well as I said we're trying to up production and if we can find more people with 3D printers, and we have reached out, for example, to Kinsale, but they're flat out. Um, but you know what? There's people out there, and maybe their son or daughter, or maybe they bought a machine uh, some time ago when it became uh, cool, about, you know, two or three years ago. Maybe it's sitting there. Maybe it's lying in the actual back kitchen or it's out in the garage. Uh, we can take it. Um, we can uh, coordinate delivery of the PLA and provide all of the file details in order to produce for us. And then via the Gardaí community officers, we can coordinate delivery. So we did have some people, again, I'm going back to uh, the Facebook um, page in terms of the West Cork Mass Trap. Uh, send us a message there. Send us uh, a Gmail. Uh, you can get in contact with us. Um, it would be fantastic. OK, and we're going to share it on our Facebook page as well. We'll keep in contact with you, Tony. Best of luck. It's it's brilliant. It's, it's really okay. great. Well done to you and the rest of the guys. Okay. And thanks to C103 for uh, letting us uh, Our pleasure. here. Thank you. Okay, Our pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Tony Lane there. West Cork Mask Strap. If you want to check them out on Facebook or the Gmail is the same. West Cork Mask Strap at gmail.com. Anyone out there with a 3D printer, it's, it's a terrific idea. And I love the way communities and people like that, people like Tony and his, his gang, getting together to try to help out the frontline staff. We all know they're all of our heroes and anything we can do to make their life a little bit easier is just, it's terrific. So well done. Okay, let me take a very quick break. We're back with Peter Dowd. I'll answer your gardening questions after these. Court Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. I'll be playing Elton John. I've got a lot to be grateful for. I'm very, very lucky. Bruce Springsteen. If I couldn't play music tomorrow and I had to find some completely other line of work, I have no idea what in the world I would do. And Billy Joel. Someday. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I just sit at the piano and say... Okay, let's see what happens. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And judging by the volume of questions in, there's lots of people out in the garden and they're staying home, which is good news. Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. On what is a gorgeous day here. It's got a bit overcast now, but it's gorgeous and uh, mild and good forecast for the week. Yeah, except I was looking at the TV and they seem to have got it wrong. They're putting a cloud symbol over Cork for each day and sun over the rest of the country. But hopefully that won't come to pass. It's gorgeous today. Yeah, we don't want any of the cloud. OK, let's get straight down to questions. Um, a regular listener says, Hi, question for Peter, please. I need to prepare an area to plant Cantoniaster hedge looking for ground cover. I need to kill off grass, weeds, etc. While I don't have Roundup, can I spray ground with weed all and how long would I wait then before planting? You can spray with weed all, but I'd be far happier if you use the opportunity that COVID-19 is giving you to get out there now with a shovel and get down and dirty and actually remove the weeds because the weed all is doing substantial damage to, to the soil and to the biodiversity and the pollinators around there. So you don't want to be poisoning the landscape. I think God knows if, if we've learned anything from the crisis we're in now, it's we want to be protecting the environment that we live in. We don't want to be damaging it. So I wouldn't, I would not be encouraging the use of weed all our roundup or any of these weed killers. Get out there with a shovel. I know it's a bit of work, but we, God knows if ever we've had the time, we have it now. I would get out there with a shovel, remove the weeds. Uh, uh, you know, you'll be amazed at how quickly you get through it. You'll get through it quite quick. It's very re- rewarding. I, I'm sure it's not the answer that they wanted to hear. They probably wanted me to, to say within a week you can plant again. I'm actually not sure how quickly you can plant after using any of those chemicals. But I'd urge you absolutely not to use them if you can at all avoid them. Okay, Maura in Mallow says, uh, Hi Patricia, I set some of my own viola and petunia seeds in January in my glass house. They're all very small and look like that they won't flower until late in the summer. Is there anything I can do to promote growth and flowers? It's Maura from Mallow. No, for Maura, she did the right thing by starting off those seeds indoors in January. That's great. She should have she should have them. And this is probably the reason she did this in January to have have good stronger plants earlier. But we're in the the middle of April now. They should be looking a bit strong. There's, I'd be very slow to to feed them with anything yet. If she wants to send me a picture, send it in. I'll have a look at it. Send it to me on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way to the Irish Gardener. I'll have a look at them. Um, but. You see, you, you, if the root system hasn't developed to large enough yet, you could end up doing more harm than good by putting any plant food on them. So really what, what I would say, without seeing them, as I say, it's hard to say, but really what I would say is we need is the temperatures to increase a bit, which they are now. So hopefully you should see, see growth improving at the moment. Don't overwater them. Again, that root system is probably very juvenile, so it can't absorb too much water. And if they're sitting then in compost or in soil that's wet, they're not going to grow very well. Uh, they, they could end up drowning. You could end up doing more harm than good. So err a small bit on the side of underwatering. Now, there's a fine line because you don't want them to dry out either. Uh, but I would be slow to put plant food on them just yet. Hopefully, the, the, the increasing temperatures will help. But do send me a photograph and I'll be able to advise better. Okay, hi Peter. I'm thinking of setting some potatoes. I've got lots of spuds with eyes. I have a grow bag from last year, which I think chives and some sort of weeds are now growing in. Would it be safe to use the same soil if I got rid of what's growing in it? Obviously, I don't know what the weeds are and I'd worry if any of it could be poisonous or something. 
No, I wouldn't be worried about it being poisonous. I would just be worried about if there were chives or or any of the other alliums or anything like that growing in it. Uh, not that the, the plants or the weeds or anything would be poisonous, but there could be some pathogens in the compost. Some, you know, you could like, for example, if she, if, he, if the caller had told me that they had grown tomatoes in that grow bag last year, I'd say definitely not, because it's the same pathogens that cause tomato blight that cause potato blight. So you certainly wouldn't plant potatoes there. Uh, but if it's just something that's been growing wild, a few weeds, maybe a few chives, you should be safe enough. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would go for it. I would, I would, would, would go for it. Ideally, you would use fresh compost or fresh soil. If you can get fresh soil from somewhere else in your garden, it would be better. Uh, obviously, garden centres aren't open at the moment, so you can't, it's not that easy to go and get fresh compost. If you've got some homemade compost and you could mix it with soil, that would be the best of everything that you could use. But if not, if we, if we just have this or nothing, then I think go for it. You should be safe enough. OK, Carmel is emailing on behalf of her dad who set sweet peas last week. He's noticed the leaves are being eaten and white dots are appearing. He has slug killer on them and sprayed them. Any idea what it could be? Well, it could be the spray. I don't know what she sprayed, what he sprayed them with. Um, so again, I'd say to, to, it's hard to say without seeing them properly. So if you could send me a photograph, as I say, do it on Facebook to the Irish Garden. I'll have a look at them and try and advise you properly from there. It could be several things. It could very well be the spray, particularly if you put one of the nasty insecticides on it. That could have done it. Um, like the last thing you want to be doing is the sweet peas and that will draw in the pollinators, the bees and the things that we want to help. But if you put insecticide on the plant, then that could end up poisoning the bee as well. So we do be very, very careful as to what we put on our plants at the moment. Um, so it could be that. It could also be, depending on where you bought them, if they came from indoors, let's say in a supermarket or somewhere like that, and they were in a you know an artificial environment with central heating and artificial light, and we move them straight outside. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy your plants in a supermarket. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But when if you do do that, bear in mind that they have been in indoors in a in a controlled environment, and we're moving them straight out to an Irish garden. They're not going to like that shock. So that could cause them to to shrivel up and to get leaf spots. It could do that certainly. Um. Uh, without seeing it, it's hard to say. What's eating it is very possibly slugs. I would say that's very, very high probability that it could be slug damage. If you're using slug pellets, do please make sure that you're not using the methaldehyde pellets. Just take that one second to have a look at the label on your slug pellets. If it's methaldehyde, don't use them because methaldehyde will also kill the predators, the hedgehogs, birds, any birds coming into the, the garden, domestic pets, dogs, cats. Methaldehyde pellets will also kill us humans if we eat enough of them. So please don't use them. Don't put that toxic, uh, those toxic pellets in the soil. There are plenty of slug pellets out there that contain a, a, the active ingredient ferric phosphate. Now, that's just iron phosphate, Trish. Very effective against the slugs and snails. Totally safe to use in the garden. So if we can make one change, be it that one. But I'd say uh, it is very likely that it is the slugs eating the, the sweet peas. OK, question for Peter. I set a new lawn last September. There's brown patches on it. I'm wondering what would have caused that. Uh, if if I was hoping that they were going to say yellow patches, <laughs> then I could have said it could could have been caused by some low temperatures during the winter. Brown patches again without seeing it. Sorry to be I'm not trying to evade the questions, but it's difficult to answer that one as well without seeing it. Um, it could be caused by several things. It could be a fungal infection in the soil. Um, it could be environmental damage. In other words, something could have spilled on patches, maybe a bit of weed killer or even unlikely, but you know, maybe a bit of oil or something like that. So that's the kind of environmental damage that it could have been. It could be fungal. It could have been overfeeding if they put anything on the lawn. Uh, it's a very young lawn. If it was only put down last September. If there was any plant fertilizer, lawn fertilizer or lawn weed killer or anything like that used or even sulfate of iron used on the lawn, that would have browned it. So 
it's a, again, it's a difficult one to answer, but hopefully one of those might, might, might be in a box for the caller. Okay, Grisolinia hedge problem that seems to come up uh, almost on an annual event. Dan has a 35-year-old Grisolinia hedge. He's lost one shrub already. He wants to know, should he be feeding it? Should he be watering the rest of it? He's also picking off the brown and yellow leaves to try to save it. Yeah, okay. When something like that happens to an established hedge, no, it's nothing to do with feeding or watering. If it, if it was a, it wouldn't have 35 year old, any 35 year old plant, water would never be an issue anyway. And if it was, if it was low nutrient levels that feeding would help, you might see a bit of yellowing or, or mightn't be thriving. It certainly wouldn't die. So it's something more serious there. And again, if he wants to send me a photograph and I will have a look at it to try and be more specific, but it does sound like when you have a very established hedge like that and one of them just dies, it's, it's a fungal problem like Phytophthora are one of these. Uh, and off the top of my head, I can't remember if Phytophthora affects Grisolinia. Phytophthora is a particularly nasty fungal infection, but I'm fairly confident it, it does uh, affect Grisolinia. In which case, you do need to take a bit of action. You need to remove the, the infected plant, the dead plant. I would also remove one plant on either side. Uh, cut back any infection that you see on any other of the plants. Remove any dead or diseased or dying material from the ground around the hedge because the spores will just go back into the soil. Uh, it's a bit of work, but you'll have to do it. And the next thing to do then is you drench the, the, the soil where the dead one was, and I would drench the soil around the whole hedge with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water. Do that at this time of the year. Um, and then the last thing to do, so you've removed as much of the infection as possible. You've treated the infection with your copper sulfate and water, and then a bit like ourselves, when we get sick, you need to boost us. We need a boost. The, the hedge will also need a boost to stay healthy. So use the Nature Safe uh, seaweed feed. You can get Nature Safe either in a granule form or a liquid form. Uh, they're both totally organic, totally plant based plant foods uh, made in Ireland and fantastic, fantastic plant foods. So I would use them on the hedge and that will give it the boost to hopefully uh, increase immunity and keep it, keep it safe. Okay, Sheila had this question in earlier. I'm watching the clock. I have two well-established bay trees in pots, seven or eight years old. I always feed them, um, always well-watered at all times. I, fe- I fed them with sequestering of iron plant food, but they always look very scraggy and lacking something. What would you recommend, Peter, and what time of year is best to give them a trim back? Bay trees. Okay, did you say they were? Did you say how long they were in the pots, Trish? In the uh, seven there? to eight years. I think there's your answer. I think they are lacking in something. I know sulfate of iron is only giving it one nutrient, and that's iron, obviously, uh, which they may or may not be be hungry for. Probably yes, but the, the the short answer is that they they need to be repotted. So seven or eight years in one pot is a very finite amount of nutrients in that pot. Uh, realistically, I would say you need to put them into either a bigger pot or else plant them into the open ground. If that's not going to be practical or possible, look again for the Nature Safe seaweed one because that does contain all the trace elements and nutrients that they'll need. But it will be a constant job of feeding. But the, the Nature Safe seaweed feed is the one that I would use. It's by far and away the best one out there, I think. Um, trim them back. Leave it now for now. I would wait till September before I trim them again. Uh, and next year, I would give them a kind of a slightly harder trim before the end of February. Okay, that's where we leave it for today. Have a good week. 
And we'll talk again next week. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com, joining us. Now, before we uh, leave, can I just, I want to pass on uh, sympathies. uh, And I was really saddened to get an email this morning. Thanks to Philip for this, uh, sending it on to me this morning to say that uh, Peter Neal from Ballancolic sadly was taken to hospital yesterday afternoon and passed away. We had been in contact with the O'Neill family last year. Uh, Peter and his uh, wife, Cathy, uh, we helped them out in advertising a GoFundMe page. Pete, unfortunately, had suffered a stroke. He was flying to Florida on holidays. They were going to go on a cruise ship and he unfortunately had a stroke and there was a big fundraiser to get him back home and, uh, and all of that. And they did and, and they did and, and he'd made um, a, a great recovery. So it was really saddened to hear of his passing yesterday, uh, Pete O'Neill. He was retired from the Cork Airport Police and Fire Service, so probably known by many, many people. So our deepest, deepest sympathies to uh, Cathy and to his daughter Karen and to the rest of the O'Neill family. May he rest in peace. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking all your calls today. Thank you for everybody who contacted us. It was another very, very busy programme. Our apologies that we didn't get to all of the questions with uh, Peter. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. And to the line, Patricia Messenger, mind yourself and remember, stay safe and wash your hands. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Doctors can save hundreds of lives during this pandemic, but you can save thousands. We are making a massive national effort, and yes, it is going to take us longer. But the hard days you've already put in are putting us in a much better place than we had feared. And hard days for a bit longer are so worth it for better days ahead. We live in challenging times. Look out for each other and stay safe. Be responsible. Follow COVID-19 guidelines and stay with us. We'll update you with the latest advice and measures from official sources. We're online, on your phone, smart speaker and radio. C103. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.